Okay, I said that I would uh, record the introduction to the Mishnah. The problem is that I forgot to record it when I gave it live. But nevertheless, I will uh, give over an introduction to the Mishnah. It'll be shorter than what I gave over live. And this way, you know, we don't have to hear the other people's questions. We will sort of stick straight to the point. What is Mishnah? What does the word Mishnah mean? So let's go through it sort of step by step. We are familiar with the five books of Moses, Chamisha Chumshe Torah, the Torah which was dictated by God directly to Moshe, written down by Moshe at Har Sinai. We are also told that along with the written Torah, there was also many, many teachings that were given over to Moshe at Har Sinai. Teachings that explained the Torah. Teachings that were perhaps laws that were given in addition to the Torah that weren't hinted to in the Torah. Details of the laws. Laws that uh, helped um, other interpretations that were sort of used to explain the Torah. Uh, You know, sort of the famous examples that the Rambam states, right? The Rambam says that, of course, there was an oral tradition that went alongside the written tradition. Because how else would one be expected to know what beautiful fruit one should bring over the holiday of Sukkot when the Torah just says, pre-eats hadar, a fruit? Or how else would someone know how to slaughter an animal? The Torah just says, slaughter, like I commanded. Well, what does that mean? What, what part of the animal? What, what tool should I use? The Torah talks about tefillin, right? It uses a very vague word, litotafot. I mean, what word, what does that even mean? So the oral tradition is necessary to understand the Torah. But that's just one aspect of the oral Torah. Again, there's the teachings which were said in addition. There is the oral uh, sort of um, interpretations of the Torah. This is what we call Torah Shabbat. And the Rambam says that the same way a Jew you know, must believe have certain tenets uh, that we believe in the written Torah in its source. We sort of believe in the source of the oral tradition as well. Now, this oral tradition stayed oral for thousands of years. The Torah actually, according to the Talmud, has a prohibition against writing down the oral tradition because some of the flavor is lost when you write down something that's supposed to be said orally. There's a certain nuance and understanding of a subject that one can only get when they hear it said over in a certain way. The way it's said, the tone that it's said, that gets lost when it's transcribed. So that's why there's sort of a prohibition in writing down the Torah. Yet, Rabbi Yudha comes along Rabbi Yudha Nasi. Rabbi Yudha Nasi was the greatest Jew, says the Talmud, well, I shouldn't say greatest Jew, but the Jew that had, as the Jew with the amount of qualities that Rabbi Yudha Nasi had, hadn't been seen since Moshe Rabbeinu. Rabbi Yudha Nasi wasn't just the greatest scholar. He didn't just have great lineage as he came from the Davidic dynasty. He was also wealthy. He was connected to the Roman authorities. He was respected by a few of the Roman emperors or agents, you know, that were sent to Israel, most famously Antoninus. Rabbi Yudha Nasi was 
the, the perfect person, the perfect leader and the perfect teacher to compile the Mishnah. So what he did is that he took all the teachings of the 300 years before him, the, the arguments that took place, because in addition to the laws that had been transmitted from Moshe, and those are generally not disputed, as those traditions are ironclad and clear, says the Rambam, but there were also things that weren't necessarily stated clearly to Moshe Rabbeinu orally, and weren't necessarily part of the tradition. Yet it was up to the rabbis to understand on their own what the Torah was saying. And this of course, le- this of course led to many uh, disputes, you know, beginning with Hillel and Shammai, and moving on with Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yochanan ben Broko, the great Tanaic sages who we will study and we will learn about as we go through the Mishnah. So comes along Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi and he sees that the Jews will be dispersed. He sees that the way it's being done now orally from teacher to student, teacher to student will not last. There will be a break in tradition and traditions will be lost and therefore I have to write down the Mishnah. As the verse tells us, Eis lasot Hashem There's a time sometimes comes in order to do the will of God, you have to overturn the Torah. Meaning, the Torah says not to write it down, but there's something called an Eis Lasot Hashem, which only Rabbi Yudah Nasi can apply on his own, says the Torah wants me to write down the Torah. And from then set forth sort of a new tradition amongst the Jews to write down the oral tradition with the understanding that now that we were exiled, now that we're outside of the land of Israel, and yes, the Mishnah was written in the land of Israel, but it was a state of exile, a state of the Jews uh, beginning to be dispersed all over the world. And of course, had Rabbi Yudha Nasi not written down the Mishnah, the Jewish people uh, would look very different nowadays, as the Mishnah is the beginning of all of oral traditions. The Talmud, right? what's the Talmud about? Talmud is there to explain the Mishnah, right? That's what the, the, the Gemara, right? The Gemara is there to explain the Mishnah. The word Mishnah means to, to teach, the word Mishnah means to learn, right? It really means to learn, vishinantam levanecha, right? To learn. Uh, to learn, not just learn once, but sort of to learn repetitively, right? And that's why the authors of the Mishnah, the rabbis of the Mishnah, refer to as a Tana, because they are teaching. They are teaching the laws of the Mishnah. They are the Mishnah. So that's Yehuda Hanasi, again, from the Davidic dynasty. He looks at himself as a leader, as a prince, as a king, in some ways, leading the Jewish people through writing down, through compiling the arguments and traditions and the, 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 the statements, the interpretations of the Mishnah. The, the Mishnah itself is a pretty dry work because the job of the Mishnah was not, the job of the Mishnah was not to interpret, to explain, to try to understand. That, that's the job of the Gemara. The job of the Mishnah is just to write down the facts. It is extremely factual. Um, Sometimes it's a little bit hard because you want to know a little bit more. And great, you want to know a little bit more, you look at the commentaries of the Mishnah, depending which book you might be studying with. Um, and that's, um, again, a very, very brief introduction to the Mishnah. Now, as I mentioned on the, on, on the live Zoom, uh, Rabbi Yudah Nasi organized it in, a, in an amazing fashion, what we call the six orders of the Mishnah. Shisha Sidrei Mishnah. Shisha Sidrei Mishnah, the six orders of the Mishnah, uh, six uh, categories, 
The six categories are as follows. The first category is zirayim, seeds, plants, which refer to the agricultural laws in Israel, like the laws of tithing, the laws of, the laws of gifts to the Kohen, to the poor people, to the Levites. Then you have the laws of mixture of seeds, like kalayim. The next order discusses the laws of moed, which are the import, appointed times, meaning like the holidays, and the Shabbat, and all that. And then, you know, and of course all the holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and laws of mourning. Then you have the order of Nashim, which is sort of marriage laws, Levite marriage, uh, obligations from one spouse to the other. And then you have the order of Nizikin, damages, murder, capital punishments, courts, lashes, um, laws of idolatry as well. Again, things that are punishable by death. Then you have the next order, which is the laws of what's referred to as kachim, kachim, sacrificial laws, karbanot. Then you have taharot, which is laws of impurity. Now, one of the reasons why this, this cycle began was because some felt, the, 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 you know, leading rabbis felt that dafyomi was missing uh, two orders because the Talmud, which was written in Babylonia and Bavel, only discusses laws that were applicable. And the laws of impurity and the laws of the agricultural laws are not applicable outside the land of Israel. Of course, they're worth studying and we have to know. But in terms of what was taking up the rabbis' time, what they felt needed to be recorded at that time, did not include those two orders. Now somebody asked on the Zoom, so why were the laws of sacrifices written down in Bavel? How is that applicable? There was no temple. The answer to that is that the Talmud teaches that although we don't have a temple to bring sacrifices through the study of the laws, it's as if we have brought the sacrifices. So that's sort of a specific reason why the laws of Kachim. Again, this is the Babylonian Talmud. The Jerusalem Talmud, of course, discusses all six orders of the Mishnah. But that's not what we usually study. So back to the Mishnah. The Mishnah covers all six orders, of course. Rabbi Udanasi wrote down the entire, the oral tradition, which in, in, interpreted the entire uh, Torah. There's, of course, more uh, to be said. I guess one more point is that um, it's, of course, helpful not only to listen to the recordings, but to read along. Safaria is always a great source. Safaria, you don't even have to look and find the Mishnah, which we are supposed to study for the day, there's a tab on the front page that says Mishnah Yomi. And through that tab, you will know immediately what are the Mishnayot of the day. So I think that will do it for our introduction to the Mishnah. I wish you all much atzlacha, and I commend you in your um, yearning uh, to know the entire Mishnah.